You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. So we're live with Julian Reyes on Uncensored Direct Marketing. So whoever doesn't know Julian, uh, I think you've been in a bubble for a really long time. Julian is the best copywriter on the planet, I believe, or top three for sure. And also just uh, an excellent businessman and just knows everything about how to run an offer and how to, to get stuff done in this business. So Julian, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what's been keeping you busy the last year or so. Thank you. Um, I can start with my backgrounds, just you know how many life story very quickly, because frankly, my life, I'm just going to say it, fucking interesting. I know. I've been I've been around for it for like the last what 10, 12 years. <laughs> yeah, each other for let's not date ourselves here. I don't want anyone guessing our age. Yeah, uh, I was born. My dad is actually a, a pretty famous psychologist, and they used to run him and BF Skinner, who was you know the father of positive reinforcement, um, used to run experiments on me as as a child. That's actually true. <laughs> I was in Air Crib, later dubbed the Skinner Box, but um, that's why I'm in therapy uh, to this day. Actually, as I don't know. But um, started off like that, got into a hell of a lot of trouble as a kid. I actually spent three years in juvie and like juvenile institutions and facilities. Got kicked out of high school. And uh, if you've ever seen the movie 21 Jump Street, where they like put the narcs in the classes, that actually happened to me in high school. Coolest day of my life. But um, got in a lot of trouble, but then, you know, made a comeback, uh, got into musical theater, actually got into the Boston Conservatory, which at the time was the, the second best musical theater program in the world, and went on, had a, an acting career in New York for several years. I was on a, a comedy uh, central TV show called Good God. In like hey, I didn't know that. You were on TV. Well, I got a little secrets. Ah, look at that. Full surprise. I was on TV <laughs> quite a bit and uh, was a musical theater actor. I was a, a Chad Kimball's understudy. He was a big, he still is a big Broadway star, actually. So when he got sick, they called me. I was like second best, maybe third best. And um, then I got into uh, marketing eventually by way of pickup. The seduction industry was sort of blossoming in like 2006, 2007. And I, along with several other people that I knew, kind of sensed a business opportunity. I was like, I'm good with girls. I can teach some of this shit probably. And got on the map in that space by doing something crazy. I didn't know anything about marketing. But I pulled a stunt, like a crazy stunt. I, I challenged Neil Strauss, who is the author of the book, The Game. I challenged him to a pickup contest on camera. And then somehow I got footage of me apparently stealing a girl from Mystery, who was like the main character in his book, The Game, uh, on camera. Used that to build my first email list and then became very close friends and got mentored by a, a brilliant young marketer who's now long retired. You know who he is. You've you run a lot of volume <laughs> for him, actually. And um, got into copywriting. I wrote my first VSL in 2010. Did a bunch of dating offers. Did the first gay dating offer. Oh, yeah. I remember that. It's called called Straight Bait. Find out if he's curious. (laughs) And it basically helps gay men flip straight dudes. (laughs) I didn't do any R&D for that. I I wonder how big the market is for that. 
About not eight just inches. gay, not not gay or, or homosexuals looking for you know somebody to date. You know everybody's looking for somebody to date, but how many are actually specifically looking to to flip a straight guy? It's pretty uh, niche. It's not a huge market. Probably about two million dollar a year top line kind of a market. Yeah. But it was fun. It was fun. It was different. No one had ever done that before, and um, that was cool. And then. Uh, a few years later, I met a guy named Andrew Contreras who had written uh, Shepherd's Diet, which I, you know, was a very famous offer. I knew it was the best-selling uh, Christian info product of all time at that point. We kind of clicked. We started working on each other's copy stuff, and then we said, "Hey, let's launch an offer." A couple of years ago, together, and we wrote the first biblical CBD offer. It's actually a book that essentially explains, and there's real data on this, by the way, this is all real, but that there's a mistranslation that probably occurred when the Bible was first translated from ancient Hebrew into Greek. And uh, Greek. And th- that mistranslation was on one of the ingredients in holy anointed oil. It's not calamus, as the you know King James Bible says. In Hebrew, the word was kanabosum, which later through, you know, etymologists can, can prove this and later morphed into cannabis. So we wrote a book about that that kind of educates the, the Christian market and the conservative market about that. And then we built a whole business around that and, and scaled it up significantly in uh, 2020. So that's oh, it. That's awesome. That's a, a great intro. And you know what I love about that last story is how you kind of took something like CBD, which is seen as something very liberal, like, you know, the liberals like it and call it the the left wing and kind of brought it to another market. So super, super awesome. And kind of taking that and, and just kind of moving forward with my first question is, you know, you just mentioned now that you met Andrew and you guys clicked and, you know, you started writing copy. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, being a Lone Ranger and then kind of finding a partner and how your business evolved from that? Yeah, actually that kind of, it's a very personal thing to me that you're discussing because, you know, I've known some amazing entrepreneurs coming up and some of them they really could do it on their own. For whatever reason, their right brain was balanced enough with their left brain. And they were you know, brilliant at creative, but also very organized and could think in a structured way. Not me. Not me. I got, I'm, I'm top heavy. Like I'm definitely... Uh, You're the creative guy. I, I'm the creative guy, but I'm, I'm not organized. Uh, but, but Andrew, who's my, my partner, he was a very high level engineer before he got into any of this stuff. So he's able to sort of I'm all over the place and he's sort of able to kind of break things down into the, the little parts and connect them together in a way that, that I'm just not capable of. So for me, for my, you know, know thyself, right? It took me a decade to figure this out, but if you have deficiencies in a certain area that you can't <laughs> fix, then find someone that can supplement you and, and can help take those things off of your plate. And that's really when things went to the next level. I can attest to that. I mean, like I said earlier, I don't know if I mentioned it, but you know, we've been working together for over 10 years and I've definitely seen the evolution of Julian from, you know, copy nerd, starting smaller offers, kind of scaling a little bit of that partying that you went through and then, you know, uh, to the mature and, and awesome businessman you are today. So I don't know Andrew that well or, or personally, but uh, you guys seem to be a good fit and things are scaling, things are moving forward. So I hope to do the same. I'm thinking of adding somebody that's, I'm more, I guess, the Andrew more so than the creative uh, in, in my business. And I feel like I, I can use somebody who's 
seems a little bit like wacky to kind of change things up. So I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs are kind of in the same situation where they're good at something, they're they're scaling everything and they're they're moving forward, but they're just not good, for example, at the whole financial side of the business or kind of get things moving, right? So so that's definitely a good lesson. Two quick thoughts on that. Yeah. First, Andrew yeah. is a brilliant creator. So I won't take that away from him, but he's just more evenly balanced than I am. Two, who said I stopped partying? <laughs> No, I, 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 I don't. Epic parties. My parties are famous in Puerto Rico. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. I, I we have a mutual friend that told me your brunches are just out of this world. They're legendary. One day I'm going to be in Puerto Rico. I'm coming to a brunch. I'm coming to a brunch. So, so awesome. So I mean, let's let's kind of dive into the whole copy because you know that that's you know obviously where you got your start and you're a brilliant copywriter and there's a lot of people who read your copy and know you well and and probably have seen your offers have been seen everywhere. So what, what are you thinking? I mean, in terms of like, you've gone 10 years writing copy for a whole bunch of different offers. Like, first of all, how did you transition from like dating to like, you know, the book and the CBD stuff? Like what made you kind of jump from the different industries? And then secondly, like, what are the, some of the trends or, or things that you're doing to kind of keep up to date and, and be creative? Well, yeah, obviously started off in dating. Um, I didn't mention this before, but I co-wrote multiple of the strongest iterations of Pandora's box, which to this day is still the best-selling dating offer of all time. But um, started with that, wrote a ton of dating stuff, and eventually just was like, you know, these skills can transfer over to anything. And, and I was starting to get a bit bored. of. I had just been writing. I knew the market so well that I wanted to kind of branch out and try something new. And in terms of trends, I was thinking about that question because you, you mentioned it earlier about trends and this might not be the answer you're looking for, but it's an interesting trend, I guess you could say, which was, you know, when I first started writing and doing this, you know, seriously, you know, 2009, 2010, the percentage of entrepreneurs, the percentage of, of people in our market that kind of knew about the power of sales copy, that knew, you know, what a weapon it could be to kind of grow a business was much smaller than it is now. Yeah. I think it's become our market has become much more cognizant of that. And so there's a lot of people that are kind of learning about copy now and identifying as copywriters, identifying as copywriters. That's the first trend that I've noticed, right? Is this shift. And that's good. That's a great shift. But the thing that <laughs> I'm going to say that, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to upset anybody. Actually, I don't give a yeah. fuck. We, oh, we, we got to say, we got to speak our minds yeah. here. So upset who you got upset. <laughs> yeah, no, let's say it. So I think that people, particularly people that are like, I'm a copywriter. I'm identifying as a copywriter. Trust me, I've identified as a copywriter as much as anybody in the world. I don't actually really identify as a copywriter anymore. I think that's, that's definitely a key skill and it's, a, it's an advantage, but I think that it can be very limiting to sort of long-term success to kind of stick with that label in your own mind. Because if you do stick with that label, and, it's, and, and there's a lot of ego involved, right? Like, oh, I'm creative, I'm a creative, I'm a writer, you know? And it's cool to say, but what's the, what's the end game here? Like, what, why are we all doing this, right? If you're doing this because it's a creative expression for you, well, go be a fucking poet or some shit. We're doing this to make money, right? To build wealth. That's why I'm doing this. And I think it's very common when you just, put the copywriter label onto yourself and you identify as that, you, you have to remember that in terms of, as you go through your career, and then this, I'm sure this will continue to shift for me even, as you go through the, your career, you will identify and label yourself in different ways, like dominoes, right? A copywriter 
That's just one of those dominoes, but there's dominoes beyond that. And at some point, you'll probably identify yourself. You'll kind of drop that label and you'll identify yourself as an entrepreneur. And then maybe after that, you'll identify yourself as an investor. And then after that, as a you know Buddhist monk that uh, you know commons <laughs> DMT trips, whatever it might be, it's just one rung in the ladder through identification. And, and I don't want to not encourage people to study copy. Definitely study copy. It's a huge weapon. But just know, don't get stuck in that label because it can actually hold back the end goal, which for me is motherfucking wealth building. For sure. I mean, the thing is with copy and you, you did get your start there and that, you know, you added business acumen and, and buying traffic and all, all the other pieces to, to running a business. The good thing though, is at least, you know, as, as copywriting grows and people identify as copywriters, you know, we're starting to get more into kind of like a gig economy, right? So like, at least I see that the trend positively affect people who are able to at least say, you know, I'm a copywriter, I can make five, 10,000 bucks or, or whatever the case is, writing copy for people. So some people are just not aspiring to be entrepreneurs, but obviously for, for somebody who's a, a very good copywriter, what's the next step that, you know, you got to launch your offer, you got to get kind of all the pieces in place and you can't just focus on the copy. I do find that like when I feel like a dinosaur when I say this, but like in 2005, 2006, uh, when I started in this space, it was like the adult space. We would just put like a naked picture of a girl. And then all of a sudden there would be like a million clicks and stuff like that. It would be fucking insane. Like just the stupidest stuff, like no copy, no description, spelling mistakes, just whatever, put it on there. People are going to click on it. How things have evolved, even let's say in the adult space, the, the seduction, the dating space, you have to be so much much smarter about it. You got to research a little bit more, like when you were talking about the, the CBD offer and, you know, the fact that you found something, you know, in the Bible and you researched it and, and, and stuff like that. Like, I feel like that's something that's a trend that's happening more in the last couple of years. I don't remember reading such smart copy. Like when I started direct painting in 2009, 2010, people would just put on like, whatever, find something, throw it on there. And then, you know, obviously there was a lot less people in the game. There's a lot less people knowing how to buy traffic on like Facebook and stuff like that. So it was just so much easier to scale than it is now. But, you know, just kind of talking about trends and copy and so forth. Tell me a little bit about like how you research, how do, how do you find all that stuff? Like, you know, like exactly what you said now about the Bible, like what gets you kind of excited about, okay, I can make this like a, you know, 15 page sales letter. Well, with the CBD, the Christian CBD offer that we did, I mean, the way that kind of transpired was the farm bill got passed in 2018, I believe, end of 2018, which made it legal to sell CBD across state lines, which means you could do it via e-commerce. So I knew that. I went down to Panama with Andrew. We had recently decided to do an offer together, but we didn't know quite what yet. And at the Panama summit, CBD was hot. It was a hot topic. Half the speakers were talking about CBD. So I kind of looked at that. I was like, all right, CBD is hot. It's legal now. Like we're, we're early in the in the picture. And then I looked at Andrew. I was like, well, he wrote the best-selling Christian info product of all time. Okay, one plus one equals a hundred. <laughs> let's let's do a Christian CBD offer. I'm not Christian. Andrew is. I'm I'm a Puerto Rican Jew, but uh, you know I'm adaptable. And then I we just started researching online, and I found this whole story about Dr. Sula Benet, who was an etymologist. She studied languages, and um, she wrote a book like a hundred years ago that basically pretty much proved that cannabis was used in biblical times. So I said, well, this, the conservative market, you know, they need a justification, right? This is hot, it's new, it's trending, and this market is untapped and they need a justification. Let's 
you know, create a pitch around that idea. So that's, that's it. It was just like connecting a couple of dots that were like in front of our faces in terms of like how we approach stuff now. Like, of course, that's still like connecting the dots, but this is going to sound weird, but um, but I, I have some friends in this space. I include you in that group. I have a lot of friends in this space and, you know, from low to high, I know a lot of people and I try to give value to them to get value back. And that sounds a little contrived. You're so giving. You're so giving. <laughs> yeah, but that's I'm not doing it for you. Okay. I'm doing it. I don't want to say it's Machiavellian, but it's more like, you know, this person can help me. Let me see if I can help them first and, and then they can help me back. So because of that, I feel like I've built like a pretty good network in the space. And a lot of intel and data happens to sort of come my way sometimes. So so having connections in the space that can kind of keep you up to date with what's working, with what's, you know, scaling, you know, any kind of trends, as you say, um, that's a big piece of it. But the way to do that, the way to kind of source that intel and that data is to take your own resources where, you know, maybe you're an amazing CPA or you're a great copywriter uh, or you throw great parties like me and or whatever brunch. it is. It's brunch yeah, though, brunch. isn't it? Brunch what are you doing? Is. Having a bottomless mimosas? <laughs> Well, there's a lot of bottoms around, I'll say that. But um, <laughs> cut that out, editor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Leave it in, leave it in. Um, but that, but that, that's the point is that if whatever your gifts or your talents or your abilities, no matter what stage you know, you're at, find people that might be able to help you and give. Give to them and, and get things back. And because I'm sort of the biz dev arm of our company, that's one of the ways that I find out what is trending and keep my... My ear to the ground, as they say. Cool. So how long would you say, let's say for your, your Christian offer, how long did you research? Like a day, two days? I'm just curious because I don't know much about copy. So I'm always wondering, how does somebody like research? When did they say that's enough research? I just got to start writing. Well, I am the one who found the Sulubane thing. And, you know, Andrew would have found it, probably just looked before he did actually. But Andrew's a brilliant researcher. He's a brilliant researcher. That's, that's something I'm not very good at. Like Chris and dad and I were talking about this the other day. Haddad and I were not as strong in the research department because he and I were both kind of born and raised and cut our teeth in dating, which doesn't really require a lot of research. It's more about the story and knowing the market. Feeling, um, yeah. yeah, but like in supplements and things like that, you you need to research. A lot of your big ideas are going to be based off of the ingredients and you know connecting all those dots. Andrew's great at that. I just kind of leave it to him, yo. <laughs> Awesome. So we got to get Andrew on the show next so he can walk yeah. us through that, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting how you've kind of transitioned from all these different roles, worn all these hats, and and now you're you're pretty much, uh, you know, in my perspective, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, the most seasoned business person, but like, you, you know, a little bit or a lot about everything uh, about how to run a business. So tell me, in the last, I don't know, 12 months or something, what have you done that has increased 5, 10, 20% your business? Like what have been like the, man, I should have done this earlier kind of stuff? Well, I mean, obviously the biggest thing was finding the right business partner for me. That That's when like, when I went from, you know, low-ish seven figures to like well into eight figures top line. And, and the, the catalyst for that was finding the right business partner. In terms of other stuff, building like a killer media buying team internal like we've gotten away from affiliate traffic to a large degree and yeah. we still take some particularly on like the ed side we have an ed supplement and some some stuff like that but but most of you know the the cbd company and everything around that 
90% of our traffic is, is internal media buying. So that was a huge acquisition for us. Um, and we built that out uh, somewhat. In terms of other catalysts that were big, so media buying, partnership, something that we're, I'm going to kind of future pace your question here. Go like, for it. Into 2021, what we're looking to do is like, the main focus is on infrastructure. But for us, infrastructure and changes to infrastructure are driven by like one goal, which is to increase creative output. So Andrew and I are both writers and we have two writers on staff. And then we have a, another writer that, that's a very famous writer that, that we're partnering with on a, on a separate project. And we've got all that, but we're trying to build the creative team bigger and bigger and efficiently build it, which is already stressing the other departments of the business, right? So if us creating offers, which is like baseball, it's a swing of the bat, like not everyone's going to work. But if we can increase our output to you know five offers in, in Q1, from like last year, I think we launched like two or three offers the whole year. This year, we're going to try and launch 12 to 15 offers. Oh, wow. That's going to stress the hell out of operations. That's going to stress banking. That's going merchant to stress... Merchant accounts. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, merchant accounts, big time. Um, that's going to stress pretty much every department and break things. So a lot of what we're doing right now is increasing creative output and trying to anticipate the specific fail points in the business, the specific parts of the business departmentally that could break or will break if we go whatever from 25 million last year and this year we hit 50 million, which is our goal. We do that, shit's going to break if, we, if it's in its current shape. So we're trying to anticipate, we're trying to build, trying to scope, trying to structure that. You have a, a big team of writers writing offers. Do you, do you focus a lot on like ad creatives and like having them deploying them on like email campaigns and like, how does that whole part work? Cause I mean, you have all these offers obviously for them to be successful. Don't they have to have like, you know, a whole bunch of email creatives that you test or like a whole bunch of ads that you test or there's traffic buying and there's the writing portion of, you know, once the offer is built, basically, how do you, how do you test it to make sure that it's not a dud or, or how, do, how can you tell if it's a dud? When do you give up that's that's a great question, and, and I'm going to segue right back to that because earlier we talked about you know the strength of copy and how important copy is, and then I kind of point out, but it's just one piece of the pie, right? One piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Where like if you if you took Shepherd's Diet or Research or something like that, and you put that offer into ninety percent of fledgling direct response companies or 90% of companies, it, it would bomb. You, you can give me the best sales letter in the world, put it in the wrong hands. It's not going to scale, right? Because yeah. there's so many other pieces of that. In terms of how our creative team is divvied up, myself, Andrew, and now Chris, you know, we focus on the front end stuff, which are like the VSL scripts, the YouTube ads, things like that. Things that are like touching the customer, right? The front, front end, which is the most critical stuff. And then we have yeah. three writers that are handling like email and all that. But to answer your actual question, how do you know something's going to work? You don't. You, you kind of compare it to your other data. You look at the other data, you compare it. Let's say I have an offer, a brand new offer. We should just launch one um, this week. We have a brand new offer. And for every dollar I spend on Facebook, we make back 65 cents. So we're losing money, right? Well, probably a lot of companies would just like say, oh, on to the next offer. No, 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 no. If you're making 65 cents for every dollar you spend and it's a brand new offer that's not optimized, you know, you're going to have to spend some money to do it. But if you have strong split tests, strong variance that you're creating, all you have to do is double conversion once. And now all of a sudden you're profitable when you can scale. Whereas if for every dollar I spent, I got 10 cents back or seven cents back, 
eh, it's probably good to, to first make sure there's no tech issues, you know, yeah, the way that sure. to, obviously, you know, rule any merchant account issues out, whatever you can. Hey, that uh, doesn't happen. You come on, you work with me. Not with happen. you, Maria. I'm going <laughs> to my accounts. Come on. I'm gonna, let me give you a compliment. Let me give you a compliment. I'm going to give you a compliment. So I, I've been working with you for, should we say it? Long like time. Long. Decade. Decade. Yeah. I was, I, I think I, I've transpired three decades of my life while we've been yes, working together. You were, so. you're 17 years old. Exactly. <laughs> 12. <laughs> that's when I started. <laughs> so we've been working together for a long time and I've worked with, you know, many other agents as well as you over the years and gotten, you know, more and more experience with that. I have to say, Nobody in 10 years of processing and working with a dozen different agents, at least agents or even direct to processor, et cetera. Nobody has treated us more fairly than you. Well, thank you. That's, that's a, that's a really nice plug. Thank you. So we could check that off our list of, of things that we had to talk about. (laughs) Serious. Like, especially like early on in my career. Now, now I know a lot more about how to, you know, kind of look at, look at a statement and kind of see what's really happening. Um, not really, not really. We found a couple of things just recently that weren't so good. Remember, we'll talk a little bit about a small project that we're doing, right? So we're doing a kind of a, a payments overhaul. You guys have, you know, a ton, ton of products, a ton of accounts and, and kind of just getting stuff organized. And the one thing, I mean, I, I, the geek in me just fucking loves this stuff. It's so weird, but I just, I love finding, you know, uh, mistakes on like statements or things that don't match and whatever. So, I mean, that's another thing, you know, that you, you're adding and hopefully we're in this, this process right now, but hopefully we're going to find you a lot of money. But one thing that, that a lot of marketers don't do is they look at getting traffic. They look at converting the traffic, but then they don't think of everything else after your declines, you know, uh, your LTV, uh, making sure you're getting your reserves back uh, from your processors, making sure they're charging you the right amount, making sure like all this stuff that could add like 10, 20% to your bottom line, you know, just insane numbers. Because I know that you and, you know, Andrew and your whole team, everybody's super focused on, on everything at the front. And now one positive step you took is obviously me working with some people in your team and kind of organizing the whole payment uh, side and making sure things are working properly. Descriptors are, are good. You know, the one thing, you know, like just testing a descriptor, you test the descriptor, you realize the phone number is wrong. Hey, you just saved yourself like 10 chargebacks a month. So, you know, you see how excited I get about talking about fucking payments like why do i get so fucking excited i'm like yeah <laughs> like i want to like light some candles right now and, um, no but it's <laughs> find a quarter million dollars for us like just extra money that we're owed like right now well i mean where you know the, the reserves is where you know like because you've been in business for so long you have so many offers like a lot of merchants have like reserves from accounts that they're barely using and there's like 60k in there and you're like hey i'm only doing like 10k in that on that account you know you just call the processor and say hey i'm doing 10k drop my cap to like 15 and give me the extra and they'll just give it to you it's done it's like done you just found yourself you know there's some extra cash. And I, I find it's just quick wins for when I'm working with merchants. It's like, this is so easy, but nobody does it, you know, uh, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, obviously you have to be at a level in your business where these things are actually happening, which is like for you, you've been in, around for, for a really long time and have a lot of offers and all that stuff. So, I mean, anyway, I get, I get a little bit ridiculously excited when I talk about payments, even after like 10 years, it's fucking, it's, it's really weird, but <laughs> Oh, I, I think it's so cool. And, I, and I'm, you know, we've worked together for a long time with, you know, me processing through you. And then for anyone who doesn't know, like I, I recently brought on Maria as a consultant, just kind of 
really looking very deeply at everything. And uh, I won't get into the specific details, but she found some pretty amazing things that I think are going to ROI for us, you know, big time. Actually, they already have. And uh, we're excited. I, I'm interested in the banking game. I've, I've been doing it for a while. Obviously, your knowledge is, you know, significantly deeper than mine. But to me, it's just amazing how many merchants, how many advertisers, like, don't even pay attention at all to it. Because, like, so much margin can be gained or lost just on the banking side of the business. Yeah. So. I mean, and, and even like offshore accounts, onshore accounts and currencies and stuff like that, when you're at your level, that's where you have to look at stuff like that. Like you're selling to Canadians, charging in Canadian currency, boom, 5% extra conversion, stuff like that. You know, um, it's, it's, it's important and it's important to, to look at obviously your offers and, and, and scaling your traffic and, and making sure that you, you break that 65 cent barrier and get to $2 and 10 cents or, or whatever the, the, the metric is. But also the, the lesson in this is, you know, once everything's kind of dialed in, things are working, it's don't forget about the back end and what's happening after somebody gets into your funnel and, you know, you can hopefully convert them at least the first time and then keep going. But anyway, now, now we're, we're getting the payment side of things, but it's, it's interesting, but you have a lot more stuff to say. I do. And I'm going to say that then I feel like, again, like I don't want to get in trouble, you know, but I'm not going to name any names here, but I'll just say that in my experience, I've never used like really networks like ClickBank or stuff like that. We've always run through our own mids, our own merchant accounts. One of the things that I've discovered over the years is that a lot of the, the agents were essentially the intermediaries between you and, and the processor, right? They're the ones kind of agreeing to, to, the, uh, to the application and they're kind of intervening on your behalf. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many agents out there, and, I, and there's some great agents that I'm, I'm tight with, but a lot of agents, they, they operate in obscurity. Right. There's 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 never clarity about like what's really going on. What is the deal? They'll they'll push it through without even if you don't know, say, hey, I should negotiate my my chargeback fee or my AVS fee or my transaction fee or the discount rate, or you can get fucked in a thousand ways in the <laughs> no, you really can. And the difference is like with with a good mid, right? That where you have a great deal and it's depending on you know the risk of your offer and your chargebacks, obviously, you know, you could be paying, you know, three and a half. 4% effective rate, like all your fees together end up being 4% of, of your gross, right? Whereas if you're not paying attention, you could be paying 10% of top line, right? If you have a, a 20% profit margin business and you're paying 10% in, in off the top in fees, that's like having a 50-50 business partner with the bank. So, so yeah. knowing you can get fucked in a thousand ways, all I can say is, Maria, particularly earlier on when like I could have been and was taken advantage of in many ways. And by the way, normally I do like being taken advantage of, but well, that's a different story, but uh, you not never, on the banking side. Right. Exactly. You, you never exploited that. And, and I'm very grateful that you never did. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, I try and even the business and, you know, my team, I try to make sure that, you know, obviously the, the thing is I'll never say that we're the cheapest. It depends, you know, like we've been working together for a long time, long, long, term relationships. But then we get like people that are like, Hey, I have this like black hat offer charge back 6%. Can I get like interchange plus one? And I'm like, mm, there's gotta be a, a plus or minus, but yeah, you know, obviously, you know, being opened with, with merchants and, and having good relationship is, is important, but also in terms of agents, you know, one thing I've noticed, cause I used to be a merchant, right? So when I was, you know, I, I kind of, I learned 
what I didn't like that people were doing to me. And I was like, I don't fucking want these people. To, I don't want to do this to people. Cause it's so annoying. Like when I asked the price, it was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's on page four at the, just, just give me the freaking price. Like, don't, you know? Um, so, you know, that's, that's something that I, you know, I pride myself on and, and I'm, I'm happy that you, you appreciate that as well, but kind of diving back into, you know, not talking about payments. Cause our goal is to talk about you and, and, and what you do. You said something interesting before that I didn't, I didn't hop on, but you mentioned something about moving away from affiliate traffic and kind of taking it internally and so forth. What was your experience with affiliate traffic? Like, why, why were you like, I just, did you just want to move because it was going to be like cost effective or did you just have some bad experience with affiliate traffic? We had six lawsuits <laughs> last quarter, you know, related to affiliate traffic, right? A lot of can spam stuff. There's great affiliates and we have great affiliates, but um, certain types of affiliate traffic can be very damaging because they, because if the affiliate's doing something naughty, it's hard to see it. You can use Lashback. You can use certain softwares to try and mitigate that. But um, a lot of times, you're just not going to see it until it's too late. And and there are teams of lawyers out there that that exploit this. They know that they've got you know a racket set up, particularly in the state of California, and they sue the advertiser. So that's one of the reasons is when you control the flow of traffic, you can control the quality of traffic. You're not going to be sending fraud in there. Like we had. Uh, last month, like in like a two days or something, $100,000 of fraud got into one of our offers that we weren't paying, you know, close attention to at the time. And then, you know, we obviously refunded, we voided as much as we could and we, we covered it, but like that sucks. And that's all affiliate traffic uh, in general. So that's the main reason is to, it's to mitigate risk. We do accept affiliate traffic, but it's sort of, we pay close, close attention and network traffic can be risky, particularly email. There's a lot of risk email now, SMS as well. Oh, SMS. That's the reason. Plus, you know, the other thing, here's the other reason. Here's a good reason. That's a good reason. Yeah, that's a great reason. That's a great reason. Less lawsuits. But another really good reason is, all right, let's say that you have a, just keep the math simple. Let's say you have a $100 CPA, $100 affiliate payout that you offer, right? And let's say you have a super affiliate that's a media buyer on YouTube. Now, typically these affiliates like to, you know, see... If they're a really good affiliate, they like to see, you know, at least 50% margin or double their money, whatever their margin that they want is, but you're paying them hundred bucks. That means if they're running on YouTube as your affiliate, that they're probably their CAC, their customer acquisition cost is probably somewhere between 50 and 70 bucks, right? So they're making 30 to 50 bucks on every sale that they do. All right. Well, okay, I'm doing the math here. That means if I'm good, if I have a team that can get good at buying media on YouTube, just like that affiliate, right? Then I can get the CAC for 50 bucks. Now my margins, I'm eating that extra margin for myself. But that's the other big reason why <laughs> getting a fucking media buying team is very valuable. I mean, the thing is, I always found just like with affiliates, I managed the affiliates for, for Jug Cash in like 2006. It, our affiliate program was called Jug Cash, literally. And the same issues that you're talking about, it was the same issues that we had back then. It feels like the game just never changes for some affiliates. There's some great affiliates out there. We had some, some top level guys that were sending us great traffic. But one thing that I found with affiliates is sometimes the ones that send you the, like the least amount of traffic, like, you know, the, the 10, 20 sales a month kind of thing, they're 
they're hoping to stay under the radar and they're the ones that are giving you the 10 chargebacks and 20 chargebacks and, and, and so forth. So when I was managing affiliates, I was looking always at the top 20%. It was like, oh, let's look at the top 20% who's blah, blah, blah. And then when we dug further and like, who the fuck is causing all these chargebacks? Like well, we're buying traffic, we're doing well. But obviously I had a team, I had like six or seven people uh, back then. And, you know, I was like, okay, here, take a look at this. And you look at these 10, you look at these 10 and so forth. And we noticed that like the low end guys, the guys that were sending us, like I said, under 25 sales, those were the ones that were generating like 50% of the chargebacks because half or more of their purchases were either refunds or chargebacks, or they were using prepaid cards. So we started only allowing affiliates. You you had to kind of get to a certain amount of volume within three months, or we cut you out. Just was like, you, you don't do more than like X amount of sales per month out. So like, uh, tricks like that, you know, you've gotten very sophisticated too. Like, I mean, there's, I know some people that do this and know of them, but like there are affiliates that kind of bounce around on these networks, right? These affiliate networks and they have software that they've built and they're actually running. Here's the, here's why it's tricky is they're actually running real traffic to your offer because they're multifaceted. They're running real traffic. So you're getting real sales, but they have some kind of software built that for every four sales or five real sales that you get one or two stolen credit cards goes in ah. and they still get their CPA on it. And it's blended. It's blended in with actual real transactions. So it's, it's much harder to see, which is yet another reason why I just, let's just buy all the traffic ourselves. No, it's awesome. I mean, buying traffic yourself, if you can do it is amazing. The thing is when you get a really, really good traffic buyer, a lot of times they go off on their own because they're so good at it. They're like, well, why wouldn't I just kind of do this? So it's, it's, it's important, obviously like a a compensation package that's going to keep them interested because in my experience, like working with, you know, people that are buying traffic or, or great, you know, great writers and stuff like that, when they get to a certain level and they start getting so good at it, they just feel like might as well just kind of do it on my own and, and stuff like that. And that's the, the, one of the biggest challenges. And in finding like a great affiliate manager or a great traffic guy or a great email guy is once, once you, you train them and you get them really good at their craft and you got to start giving them a lot and, and it's worth it usually. So it's, it's not, yeah. you know, it's not. Yeah, you but- incentivize them. You just got to incentivize them, make sure that, you know, and if they want too much, they cross the line to where, you know, it's not really ROIing for the company that you make sure you have backup people. You make sure you're constantly, you know, train. Yeah. Um, wow, that's uh, that's that's an awesome little side conversation that I wasn't thinking of having. But you know, obviously, affiliates is a big thing. Just kind of wrapping things up and and summarizing all of this like amazing information. I want to know what are your your business goals and what are your personal goals other than having some some great parties in twenty twenty one. Like, what are you what are you doing this year? Like, what's what's going to be on your your top three? I guess uh, build a harem, <laughs> hit fifty million and lose some weight, <laughs> get the, get the twins back, get the abs back. <laughs> you know, COVID has been, uh, it's been rough. Like I COVID hit and I, in the little tiny voice in my subconscious was like, this is a golden opportunity to get fat because you're going to have an excuse. You're going to be like, Oh, COVID man. You know, I'm just a victim of COVID. Quarantine uh, 15. Yeah. Well, I, I took, I doubled it, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. So, so get back in shape continue to grow the business and, uh, build my harem. That's awesome. Well, those are, those are some awesome goals. I, uh, asked me any questions about the harem. I assumed you were going to ask something. about it. Come on, Maria. You feel free to comment. (laughs) Uh, I'm actually not joking (laughs) at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, okay. One last, (laughs) 
one last final thought. Tell me about Puerto Rico. I'm actually, as I was finishing that last question, I was like, you know what? I didn't ask anything about Puerto Rico. I, I do. The reason that I'm asking about Puerto Rico specifically is because every like couple of conversations that I have, I get somebody that I'm speaking to that's like, hey, I'm moving to Puerto Rico. And I was like, why is everybody moving to Puerto Rico? Is, is this like, the, it's like the new Austin, I feel like. I feel like a couple of years ago, everybody was moving to Austin. Now I feel like everybody's moving to, to Puerto Rico. Final thought. Okay. I, we're not going to talk about the harem. We'll talk about, we'll talk about Puerto Rico. <laughs> Two reasons why I'm in Puerto Rico. One, Act 20, which is now Act 60, right? And uh, it's basically move your business to the Caribbean, move it to Puerto Rico, Stop paying federal income tax, 0% on uh, profit distributions, 4% corporate tax, and you're done, basically. I'm very jealous. Um, that's reason number one. Reason number two is, look at that. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess people are listening, can't see it, but it's beautiful here. It'll be on we, YouTube, too. It'll be on YouTube. Okay. So well, it's we just saw a beautiful, beautiful beach. It's beautiful here. And honestly, at this particular point, there are so many ultra high level entrepreneurs and people in our space that have moved down here. I know more affiliates, advertisers, bankers, you name it, that are here in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is a Mecca. There is a, a mass exodus going on from the States right now, particularly now that, that Biden's in office and taxes are probably going to go back up. So a lot of people are looking for a way to you know, not pay 50% <laughs> to the government. Puerto Rico is a great way to do it. I love it here. I never leave the house. I'm sort of an agoraphobe. That's why I have parties because I need like this. <laughs> sometimes but Puerto Rico is amazing if you're ever curious about it you can you know hit me up um don't oh, worry. you're gonna get a lot of people you're gonna get a lot of people that are gonna hit you up though so I don't know that's that's a good offer though that's a good it's a good CTA if you if you need any help call Julian you need no, don't really well, that, that, I mean, just final thought, just because I, I like to throw in stuff uh, just right at the end. I, you know, a lot of people that I've been speaking to are crypto people, like crypto guys and girls also. There's some some interesting women in the space. And uh, that, that Act 20 or Act 60, whatever it's called now, is helping people kind of, you know, uh, cash in some of their gains and not have to pay the tax, man. So that's that's obviously another, no, another big plus. No tax on, on capital gains. There's no tax money. So if you're in, I mean, actually some of my very close friends here are, they're traders, they're, uh, they're speculators, they're, you know, future traders, they're crypto guys. I know a lot of people that do that because there's no tax on capital gains. So, you know, to me, it's a no brainer. Plus I'm half Puerto Rican. Oh yeah. That's, a, that's an easy one for you, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just interesting because I get a lot of merchants that are, are moving and that that's another challenge, right? Cause if you want to be processing with a U.S. merchant account, if you're in Puerto Rico, your corp is in Puerto Rico, your main corp, you can't, right. You can't get a U.S. merchant account. So that's why I, I'm talking about Puerto Rico specifically because it comes up and it seems like it's, it's, it's the hub and people really uh, are flocking to it. And it's, it, it brings about some, obviously some banking challenges and stuff like that. So yeah, and, and we're going to have a whole episode on Puerto Rico. I think well, Puerto Rico are, and affiliates. You, you can fix those challenges. There's ways around things and you know, yeah. you know how to do it, Maria. Um, last, last thing I want to say about Puerto Rico is it's delicious. The food is delicious. If you like rice and beans, arroz con habichuelas, platano frito, I can cook all that stuff. So if you subscribe, you rate and review this episode, then you get to go to Julian's house for all that stuff he said, because I can't repeat that. 
and an orgy. And brunch and, and bottomless brunch with Bottom. mimosas and all that stuff. So, all right, Julian, well, thank you so much for your time. This was an awesome interview, fucking packed with all kinds of information, affiliates, copy, all this, like so exciting. We have to do a part two. Um, so everybody subscribe, rate, review, give us your comments, tell us what you want to hear next, what you want Julian to talk about, because he has to come back on the show now, because there's going to be all these comments and all this stuff about other stuff you guys want to hear. So thank you everybody for your time. And, and Julian, thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank See you. you later. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once.